What's up, guys? Welcome back. Another episode of the Average Money Podcast. Tonight, we are going to be talking investing. We're going to be talking about the different paths that you can take to invest your money from the time you're in debt to somebody that's debt-free, has a great job, is making a ton of money. JJ and I both have personal experience with a number of different investment vehicles. And I think there's some things that we've learned along the way that will be great takeaways for you. If you are new, my name is Brad Finn. I am joined, as always, with my good buddy, JJ Buckner. JJ, what are you drinking tonight, pal? Oh, dude, tonight I am drinking a, it's called a Bumbleberry Honey Blueberry Ale. <laughs> that was a lot there. It's a mouthful. But, yeah, it was. It's actually, I just took my first drink. It's pretty good. It's from Fatheads Brewery out of Ohio. Uh, it's not bad. It's a little sweet, but nothing too bad. Is that is that part of the uh, the Jared Moreau gift box still? It is, man. He That guy hooked me up, dude. The gift that keeps on coming. I told you, challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Bring I, it on, man. <laughs> I can't, I'm not allowed to send pickles in the mail until, you know, the temperature drops because we don't need exploding cans. Tonight, I got Hanafuda. Oh, wow. What is that? Hanafuda is by Dubco and, or, or that's what the kids call it, Destination Unknown Beer Company. It is a plum gosa, which is uh, a little bit sour. And you're not a big fan of the sours, right? No, not too much. It's an acquired taste, pal. We'll get there. But <laughs> low, I'm my way up. <laughs> low alcohol. I'm a fan of plum. I've tried this on draft, but I've yet to had it in the can. So you know me. I love it in the can. So I'm just going gonna, gonna to give this one a go. So tonight, JJ, we're talking investing. And throughout our journey, throughout YouTube, we've gotten so many questions and We've each had different paths through. And I think we can start kind of at the beginning. And when I found out about investing, I was in debt. When you found out in, about investing, I, I assume that you were in a little bit of debt too. And a question that I get over and over again, and maybe you've never got this question before, I'm going to roll the dice, but the old investing while in debt. Let's start, let, let's start there. You, All right. You go. Three, two, one, go. Okay. Perfect question to start this podcast off with because honestly, that may be one of back when I was talking more about like debt free journey and stuff like that. Of course, I don't get it too much anymore on my main channel, but probably the most popular question is that exactly should I be investing while I'm paying off debt? Now, I like to answer this two different ways because it's all personal finance and everything that revolves around personal finance for you is personal to you. So you have to be the ultimate one to make your final decision. But what's good about hearing different opinions from people is you can kind of create your own path, which, which again, stumbles upon or means personal finance because it's personal to you. So I'm going to give two different opinions on this that I agree with both of them, but I did one of the other and I'll tell you which one it is after I explain them. But the first one is obviously don't invest any money while you're debt, uh, while you have debt. Now, the I guess the Dave Ramsey rule or whatever you want to call it is he says don't invest anything until your consumer debt's paid for. So that's credit cards, student loans, medical bills, car loans, you name it. Anything besides your mortgage, you shouldn't be investing until all that's paid off. So there's that. And then the second stance is you can invest while you're paying off debt. Now, that's what I did. Uh, my wife and I personally, we we were investing while we were paying off our debt. Now, there comes another question with that, which is, well, how much do you invest <laughs> right. while you're paying off your debt? 
And again, that's another one of those questions where it's kind of feels whatever is comfortable to you, but which we'll probably get into more of this in the podcast or in the episode. But I, I had a 401k at work. And through that 401k, I had a match the company. So my company put in a certain percentage of how much I put into my, my 401k at work. So my wife and I, what we ended up deciding was we would invest up to the match to whatever we got to get our full match. So if we got 6% match, we were investing up to the 6% of our investment going into the 401k. Once that was made, all, all the rest of the money that was coming out of our checks were going straight towards debt until that was gone. What about you? I guess it's so cliche to say personal finance is personal. And I know people get frustrated when they ask me questions like this. And I say, you just got to figure it out on your own. Like there is, there's so many different factors. They think that's an answer that we're just giving as a YouTuber or a podcaster to protect ourselves. Like, right. Like we are not finance. This is for entertainment purposes only. But the, the true answer is that there are so many factors. And I think age is another one, which it kind of surprises me because you were so young. Yeah. There's something I really wanted to say there too was something that I think is really good about people having to make that decision for themselves is it's something like, you know, you got to take a little bit of initiative to really look into this and figure out what works best for you. And kind of the best way to do that is just to listen to a difference of opinions, get a diff- bunch of different opinions and kind of make your own decision. The good part about that is that you're going to learn so much as you're doing that research. While you're doing that research and really trying to figure out what is the best move for me to make as an individual or as a married couple, you are going to teach yourself so much during that time period of researching what exactly you need to do. And to be honest, you're probably going to make some changes along the way too, because you're going to hear difference of opinions. You're like, Ooh, I've never heard it said that way before. I really like that. Amen. And that's exactly where I was going with that is another misconception is that people think that everything's set in stone. And it's kind of like when we talked in episode three about, you know, the debt snowball versus debt avalanche. And we're like, it doesn't matter. You're paying off debt. And the same thing is going to come to investing. Now for me, I started as a Dave Ramsey loyalist, as you know, and I was no questions asked. Everything is going to debt. And I have to say that I change that opinion now when I do consulting calls and things like that. The first avenue that I'm going to go is that employee match. And now knowing what I know after three years, that is by far, you have to take the free money. It doesn't, I mean, there might be some overwhelming circumstances. Like if you're living on the street and you can't pay for anything and you're hungry okay, maybe don't put that money in the 401k match or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, for now, that's, that's my strong stance is if you have consumer debt, it, it's not, it sucks because you want to put the cart before the horse and you want to, you want to be, you want to be one of the boys like sitting at the table, how much you bench, you know, like what's your portfolio like, <laughs> That's right. and you don't want to be the guy that's like, oh, well, I'm just, I'm paying off debt and I'm using all my, like you're going to be the loser at the table, but it's not like, fun either. Paying off debt sucks. No, and I w- <laughs> Investing is so much more fun. <laughs> yeah. And I was that loser at the table. I decided that I was going to live a life of contentment and I was that loser at the table. And now what seemed like not even a long amount of time to pay off debt, I'm now, it's reinforcing that. And that's the point that I want to make and I want people to hear. I went through and I, I did it. I did it with no investing. I don't have a 401k match and we'll talk about that in a minute, but I went through no investing. And I've made posts on my Instagram about how, you know, 
I, I could have, and I, I, I tracked the money that I paid off in debt and my portfolio exceeded what I would have been at. If I was doing both, I still would have debt. And, you know, for me, the only way to raise your net worth is to pay off debt. It's the only guaranteed way. Every time you pay a dollar off the debt, your net worth goes up. But if you're living in the investment life, there's going to be swings, there's ups and downs. And I think the one other thing that I see is people tend to think that the 401k is the first investment opportunity that you really have. But it turns out that so many people overlook the, the Roth IRA and the traditional IRA, that first initial IRA account that you can literally open the instant you make taxable income. My children who mm-hmm. are who are two and a half and one years old, they have a Roth IRA. They make a small amount of income. My daughter helps me choose thumbnails and she works as my assistant on YouTube. And there's ways that you can put your children to work, especially if you have a, a personal business. But- I, I talked to so many of my high school kids that have that, you know, earned income and that could really start investing. And I know that you're a big fan of the Roth IRA even before. We'll get to the 401ks, 403bs, and 457s, mm-hmm. those mean going to work. But before, if you don't have a big kid job or you don't have that big W-2 with a 401k match, blah, 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 we don't even need to go that far. We can just start with a simple, very simple, easy to open and easy to manage Roth IRA, right? It's literally, in my opinion, probably one of the single best investment vehicles somebody could start right now. The Roth IRA, if God only, if there was a larger maximum on that damn thing. <laughs> oh man, dude, it'd be incredible. And there's loopholes. There's there's ways yeah, to get more yeah. money in, but yes. Oh God, that's... But. Uh, <laughs> so basically, I guess quickly to explain just exactly what a Roth IRA is. So first, I guess let me do this. There's two different types of investment vehicles that are IRAs. You have a traditional IRA and you have a Roth IRA. Now to sum this up really quick, your traditional IRA is money that you're investing before you pay tax on it. So if you are taking money and putting it into your traditional Roth IRA, you have not paid any income tax on that whatsoever. Now for the Roth IRA, what that is, is that is money that has been taxed. So once you receive your paycheck, all your medical stuff's paid, insurance is paid for, your taxes have been paid for, the money that you get that's take-home pay, you can put that money into your Roth IRA and then that grows tax-free. All the dividends you want on your investments in there, the capital gains you want on your investments in there, all of that money grows. And when you turn 59 and a half and you want to pull that money out, you don't have to pay any taxes on it. Yeah. It's incredible. Please, Trump, raise the limits on the Roth IRAs because that's the first thing my wife and I max out is a Roth IRA. I just want to add to that traditional because there's going to be people that have heard or know about uh, something called the backdoor Roth. You can also put money into that traditional on a post-tax basis. But I think just to line up some vocabulary, we're talking with IRAs and, and with these work retirement vehicles as being tax advantaged. And then you're going to have something that's going to be you know, tax deferred. And then you're going to have something that is non-tax deferred. So the Roth IRA, what JJ is saying is that you pay taxes on it. So that money's going in. There's a there's a maximum right now of six thousand. Hopefully it'll go up. If you're a little bit older, there's something called a catch up. But now we're getting too in detail. But the other way is to go tax deferred. So it's not tax free. But what that's essentially going to do is W two. The people's minds spin when I tell them 
you know, how much earned income I tell the IRS I make, but that because I take advantage of my tax deferred accounts as well. So I, and you can stop me if I'm wrong, JJ. I, I don't know much about the traditional because I never really had to deal with it because I always had those uh, retirement vehicles at work. But there's also some other ones if you are self-employed and things like that. But we're pretty much just generally speaking to the general population yeah. here. Yep. Correct. Yeah. I mean, like you have a SEP IRA you can open up, which I actually just opened up uh, now that I you know have a full running business. But uh, yeah, for, to sum everything up, it's your traditional IRA and your Roth IRA are kind of the two main first tax deferred or tax advantaged accounts that I think are like the best places to start if you don't have that full-time job yet with the 401k and the, you know, or the Roth 401k, which I don't know, Brad, if you want to touch in on that real quick, or if we want to jump onto the 401k stance, because there may be a lot of people who are listening on the ride into work and yeah. maybe they've been putting off that 401k sign up. I know my brother put it off for so long and he kept calling me. He's like, dude, I don't know what investments to pick in this. I don't know what type of 401k because there's a Roth, there's a traditional. I don't know what the hell the difference is between the two. What do I do here? So, I mean, maybe you want to touch on the differences between a 401k and a Roth 401k or kind of yeah. I know you have some you have even different vehicles where you work too. So maybe touch on that as well. I do. And I think this the complexity of it is another benefit of the Roth. The the Roth, and I will get into those in a minute, but like the Roth is easy enough. Like you can go to your, you know, brokerage account and open it with pretty low fees. I'm a Vanguard fanboy, but I know many people that have much success in other brokerages and even even these apps now, even M1 Finance and things like that. But yeah, when when you're going into work, and the worst part about it is, there's there's two major things that I've seen from the 401k, and if you don't have a 401k, that's the most popular. It, it's kind of cousin is the 403b, and those are for going to be for state employees and things like that. So teachers, that's what I have a 403b, and then also I have another tax deferred account which is the 457, and I'll touch upon each one of those quickly. But I think the one of the most frustrating things is that there are there's no help. So the major problem is you usually hear about it and then finally you get the chops up to ask somebody at work like, hey, do you do the 401k here? Or do you do the 403b here? And then they're like, yeah. And you're like, sweet. I'm going to listen to whatever this person has to say and mm. they're going to walk me through it and that's going to be what's best for me. Or even worse, and this is the worst thing that can ever happen to you, is you get some guy that that comes and speaks to you at work on like a professional development day and they got the answers. They're here to help you and they're going to help you plan for the future and they're going to give you all these opportunities. And it turns out, you know, you learn later on down the line, I got burned by this, that the, the best way to help yourself is to educate yourself. And you go to human resources and you say, hey, I want to sign up for a 401k. And they give you this huge packet and it has many different companies to choose from. If you have a 401k, it's probably just one. That's a difference between a 403b and a 401k. I had like seven different companies to choose from. So oh, wow. that that's intimidating in itself. Then, then you got to pick your investments within that too, don't you? And you ask human resources and they say, oh, I'm not a financial advisor. You have oh, to go find a, you have to go find a financial advisor. And I'm like, who the, I don't that's the most intimidating thing, especially if you're entering the workforce in your early 20s. You get out of college, you're 23. And you know that you should be doing this, that, and the other thing. The fact of the matter is, it's it at this point you can research different companies, and it doesn't have to. And this is what I tell people at work all the time. 
I obviously know what I have at my job, but this is universal advice that I give to everyone when it comes to the 403B and the 401K before I talk about the 457, is start with a low-cost index fund, generally the S&P 500, and just start there. Now, I know some people aren't index funds people and they want to go individual stocks and things like that. That's fine. Start with the index fund. And I promise you, you'll probably just stay there because it can be that easy. And the beautiful thing is, when you start putting money into the 401k and the 403b, that's going to be tax deferred. You are lowering your W-2 income. And just to make numbers nice and easy, if you are a 25% tax bracket between federal and state, every dollar that you put in, you're putting in, you're getting 25 cents back to go invest somewhere else. Now you can pay taxes on it later, but you know, tax that tax savings alone is incredible. And and JJ, you have a point you want to make? Yeah, real quick. I mean, you, you were touching on like the different companies and you know, just to pick your standard index fund, stuff like that. But there's something I wanted to dive into a little deeper because I get this question a lot from just like family and friends too when they're when they're starting to open up a 401k or they switch jobs and there's a different company that uses uh, that runs their 401k program through work. So the best thing I like to tell people, and you kind of hit it on the head with the index fund, but some people may, may still be wondering, well, isn't everything I get to choose from an index fund? You know, they, they what is it? No, yeah, exactly. But the really what I tell people whenever you get that booklet and you can open up and you see, you know, you're either, you probably got maybe four to 10 different investments, or maybe you have 10 to 50 different investments you can choose from. I like to say, first thing you want to look for, and Brad mentioned this, is look for something that tracks the S&P 500. And then whenever you, you will know this, whenever you see your S&P 500 on that little sheet, you'll know you found the right index fund when you scroll. Usually it's over to the right and that same little table, and it's called an expense ratio. When you look at, this is probably one of the most important things to look at too when you're picking your investments because you got to be careful. Some of these investments in these 401ks through your work programs are so expensive. I mean, okay, so 1% to the average individual when they're looking at a 401k, they're like, oh, it's only 1%. Eh, that can't be that bad. You know, it's nothing. But when you start getting up into the $500,000, dollars $700,000 account balance, that's thousands of dollars you're paying a month and on just a 1% expense ratio. So if you find something that's a like a typical Vanguard S&P index is I believe it's 0.04%. Sounds good. That's that's, that's like a that's hundreds of dollars, you know, once you get up to those larger balances. Mm-hmm. So it may it may not sound like a big chunk of change when you're first starting out, but as you compound year after year after year, that's going to add up to be so much. So one thing I really like to say is to focus on something that is a more of a lower expense ratio, but still going to track that major indexes such as the you know S and P five hundred or one of our another another one of our popular ones is the VTSAX Vanguard Total Stock Market Index. That's the one I like to use a lot personally is VTSAX. So, I mean, just just be wary when you're looking at those investments. But those are two major things I like to tell my friends and family when they're picking out those those sort of investments is to look at an S P five hundred and then look at the expense ratio. You probably found the right one. Yeah. And there's a little bit of, like I said, there's a little bit of a learning curve and it's, it's not the end of the world. Like fees are a major downside of the 403B and the 457. And I got myself caught where I found out after years I was getting killed in fees. And another thing to look at besides that, and something that JJ talked about was the difference um, between an actively managed fund and a passively Mm -hmm. managed fund. Mm -hmm. This might be something you hear about 
all of these S&P 500s are going to be passively managed, meaning there's no guy there in a suit that's telling you that he's going to do what's best for you and he's going to t- he's going to make you rich one day. That's where most of the fees are going in these actively managed funds. So a general rule of thumb is if you can get into an S&P 500 that is passively managed, you're probably going to be okay. Now, if people come to me and showed me their sheets and I'm like, wow, these fees are so bad, you might want to seek other options, and which we'll get to. That does happen. But you know, at least I know my brother, for example, he has a terrible fund. And he's getting throat punched, but he gets a match. So for him, it was just as simple as, Danny, let's meet the match and let's move on to our secondary options. Brad, you're literally reading my mind right now. <laughs> like, how are you doing this? I'm thinking of all these questions I'm writing down to ask you. And you're like, bam, let me know that one. Bam, let me know that one. That's exactly what I was about to say is you may have a 401k that is, excuse my French, but maybe shit. You know, it may be just a bunch of, shitty investments and you have nothing good to choose from. Maybe they're all 1% or higher expense ratios. And trust me, they are still out there. Like Brad said, the best option to do with that is if you do get a match, fund it up to that match, get that free money and then go invest elsewhere. Do you have a, JJ, do you have a rule of thumb as far as percentages? Like I think people ask me all the time, like, okay, Brad, what's a high fee? And I usually say, because there's usually the fee that the company is charging you the, the fee that you are getting, that you're just paying regardless of your investment on top of that expense ratio. I think that's important for people to know that, you know, your expense ratio can be 0.01%, but if you're getting a 3% management right. fee, you're going to get killed. And I, I personally tell people, if you can stay under that 1%, 1%, we can find you something else. You know? Yeah, I I think you're pretty right on that. I mean, even... Even 0.75 is still pretty expensive, yeah. in my opinion. I mean, like, here's the thing, you know, and I don't want to get too in depth here. You know, we could go, we could go way down to, the rabbit hole on this one. Wrong. But like, one thing I want to say is too, like, uh, as I've grown my knowledge a little bit more around index funds and ETFs, I'm not gonna bash actively managed funds. It's not something I would fund a very large percentage of my portfolio into. But like something like ARK Investments, I may get some people who are going to crush me, you know, when I talk about this, but you know, like it it may be something like fun to do, like maybe do like 2% of your overall portfolio just to throw into because their, their total returns are incredible right now on a year after year basis. Now I know typically the studies show that on a long-term basis, an index fund is going to outperform 90, it's like 98% of actively managed funds. Um, but basically I was just saying, you know, if you want to throw a smaller percentage in there, but for a rule of thumb, I don't really like to have an index fund or I wouldn't put any of my family members in an index fund that is honestly probably like 0.2% or higher because there's no reason to Vanguard has such cheap options. Right. Why would you pay more? You know, now if you're, if your 401k only offers the cheapest one, they offer is a 0.25% expense ratio you're probably fine. I mean, it's not going to, it's not going to break you, but like with those other options being available out there, I would say just, just look into it. Yeah. And I mean the, that besides the fees that there and the limited options that you have, those, those tend to be like the biggest cons that I've seen from my experience. Now I'm going to speak directly to teachers, uh, nonprofit organizations, hospital workers, 
police officers, firemen, those types of state jobs that have, if you have a 403B, I need you to look and see if you have something called the 457. And if you own an, if you work for a nonprofit organization, this is, you're going to have to dive a little bit deeper because there's two types of 457. So there's governmental and non-governmental. So they, they, they kind of speaks for themselves. So those nonprofit organizations are going to be non-governmental. And the major risk there is that 457s are not protected. So if you work for a nonprofit organization and they were to go out of business, the IRS could come after their debts and they could come after your funds. So Generally, I'm going to avoid the 457 if it's a non-governmental 457. And it's very easy to look that up. But if you have access to a governmental, so you're a teacher, a nurse, a doctor, like I said, those professions, the 457 is great because it acts virtually the same exact as your 403B. So it has a max of 19,500 as of the time of this recording. It is tax deferred, meaning that it's going to lower your W-2. And and here's the beautiful thing about it. For standard 403B 401k, you need to wait until you're 59 and a half years old to take your money out or you will be penalized for that. With the 457, you can take your money out as soon as you leave your job. They call it separation of service. There's no penalty for that? No, brother. So Wow, I didn't know that. So for somebody like me that doesn't want to work till they're 59 and a half, I max my 457 first. And I can also max my 43B. So us teachers, wow. There's just another advantage. Like I get 19,500 in my 401 uh, in my 403B. And then I get another 19.5 in my 457. And the beautiful thing is, JJ, if I leave my job in two years at 40 years old, I separate from my job. I can start to withdraw out of my 457 penalty free. I'll pay taxes on it because it's tax deferred, but I can live off my 457 as soon as I leave my job, whether I'm 20 years old or I'm 50 years old. And all that 457 has to do is get me to 59 and a half then I can start to tap into the 403B. And the, wow. And it's not something that people talk about at parties. I worked, I, I, paid into a four, I paid into a 403B for close to 15 years before I found out about the 457. And I made a video about it. It's actually one of my highest, paid, highest viewed videos. I want to throw something at you real quick then. So if there's a teacher or somebody watching that, you know, let's say they live in my neck of the woods and maybe not earning the the highest of incomes right now as a teacher or whatever, maybe. Let's say a teacher is earning like 30K, 35K, right? And they have the option to do the, excuse me if I butcher this, but the 401K versus the, is it the 457 or yeah, the 403B? So as teachers, we primarily we have a 403B. Every teacher has a 403B okay. option pretty much from what I've talked to. The 457 is partnered with that 403B and not everybody has that. You'd have to look in and see if you have. Okay, so let's say this this teacher, um, let's call her Mrs. Johnson. I don't know. <laughs> let's say you went, Mrs. You went with Johnson, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> Out of all the damn words I could pick. I picked good old Miss Johnson. Mrs. Oh, Mrs. Remington. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, anyways, let. <laughs> oh, geez. Let's let's say good old Miss Remington. Um, you know she's making thirty five k a year. Okay. How would you tell her? Now, obviously, you're not a financial advisor, but if you were in her spot, how how would you tell her? How would you invest your money? 
you know, because obviously you're not maxing out a 401k or a 403b and a 457. You just can't do it on a $35,000 salary. But, Correct. but would you put a, would you put half into the 457 and half into 403b or how would you split that up? I, I mean, I have no idea. Yeah, I think it'd be, it would be tough. Uh, very rarely with the 403b and definitely not with the 457, we're never going to get a company match. I, if you have a 403b and you're getting a company match, I would love to hear about it and what you're doing because it's not something that you see. 403bs didn't start off as, you know, their primary function, if you go into the fine, fine print, is they're not exactly retirement accounts. You can go in if you want to look. So we don't yeah. have that particular option. But I think I'm just going to tell her the same thing I'm going to tell somebody that's making $250,000. What are your expenses? You know, how much money do you have to invest? I hate when people put a limit on what to invest and how to invest. But mm -hmm. I will say that if you are young and you know that you don't think you're going to be working until 59 and a half, I mean, I'm very fortunate. Like you said, yeah, you, you did mention the fact that I, I get paid very well in New York. I have the opportunity to max both. But I would definitely put money into that 457 first for anybody, regardless of their income, if they have a 403B option. And generally, the 457s are going to be run through your state organization. So like mine is through the New York State uh, Deferred Compensation. So the fees are going to be less because these are state organizations and they don't want to be sucking money from us. So that's another big benefit of the 457 is the fees tend to be lower. Once, it, But then again, the options are less. I just went with a very low cost index fund, S&P 500, through, and I think BlackRock sponsors it. And it, it's doing really awesome for me. Awesome. No, that's good. I want to jump ships real quick because there's something I want to touch on here Yeah, that I think is huge. And every time I tell somebody this who hasn't really ever thought about this or have seen compound interest happen, they don't really understand it until you break it down for them real quick and just show just how incredible... This is, I mean, it's the freaking, who's it? Einstein called it the eighth wonder of the world. That's my boy, Albert. I call him, I, I call him Al, but yeah, no, he's, he's. A good, oh, you guys are tight like that. Like you guys uh, are pretty he, close and he's, stuff. He's a good man. He's a, he's oh, cool, a good cool. man, Al. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So, uh, I, I honestly, before this podcast, I ran through a quick calc here. Okay. Just to show everyone, like, let's go back to the Roth IRA, for example, because pretty much anyone can open up a Roth IRA and they can start investing in that. If they have earned income. Yeah. Correct. But they're, if they have earned income. So the max amount you can invest if you're under a certain age is $6,000 a year. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start off with that. So if you invest your 6000 or did I say 600 I think it's meant $6,000 a year. But anyway, $6,000 a year on an annual basis is what you can invest inside your Roth IRA. So let's say you're maxing that out. So what that comes out to be is $500 a month. If you can afford to put in $500 a month into your Roth IRA, and you can grow that for 40 years. Let's say you're 20 years old, 22 years old. You're just getting started and you open up this Roth IRA. You let that grow for 40 years at a typical average return of the stock market over the long term is around 6 to 8%. Right now, I have it at 8%. We can drop it lower just to see what that's going to be too. So if you have $6,000 a year and you're investing in your Roth IRA, you let that grow for 40 years and you do that on a consistent basis. Every single month for 40 years, you're putting $500 into it at an 8% interest rate. You're coming up at your final future value of that account. You want to take a guess, Brad? I'm going to go... Am I going to sound like a donkey? Like, is this a That's number fine. I, go ahead. Is this a number I should know? I'm going to say 2.2 uh, mil. That's pretty close. 1.7. I'll, yep. I'll take 1.7. 1.7 mil for just... 
$500 a month on a consistent basis. Now, let's say somebody's, you know, like, oh, I can't afford that. It's too much right now. Let's drop that down to 3000 So we're going to cut that in half. That's 250 bucks a month. Yeah, that's a good, it's a point out while you're doing that math. It's so many times, sometimes people get caught up in, you know, the maxes. I, if I can't mm-hmm. max it, why put anything in? And I'll never, uh, I want to shout out to my dad real quick. And I remember I was going back to school after my brother passed away. I took a little time off and I was like, dad, I don't want to go back to school. It's going to take me like four years, four years. And he's like, why are you looking at it like that? I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? He goes, well, are you going to live for four more years? I'm like, yeah, God willing. He goes, okay, let's get there with a freaking degree. And I think the same holds true with investing. Like you, you keep saying the max, max, and I'm glad you're going to cut that in half because mm-hmm. people are going to say like, I'm not a max guy. I tell, I tell the new guys at work and the new girls at work, like, Hey, put a hundred dollars into your store with $10, yeah, put any, even $10. I mean, and don't take any raises. And every time you get a raise, okay, so what's half. So we had six grand gave me one seven mm-hmm. after 40. All right. So I'm going to go with half of that. It's going to give you a little less than one. Uh, I'm going to say six twenty five. Six hundred twenty five thousand. 625,000. Yeah. It's pretty close. Eight forty. All right, so I underestimate. So even, mm-hmm. so wait, so $250 a month, you're 20 years old. Yep. When you're 60, you're going to have eight hundred and fifty. dollars You're going to have over $800,000. And the Roth IRA keeps going up. So, I mean, and that's, you're going to- And dude, $250 a month, like if you think of it, the grand scheme of things, like most 21-year-olds are spending that out on a couple nights out at the bars. Let's be honest. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> hey, dude, I, I I opened a brewery, so I don't have to pay for beer anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm. But seriously, though, dude, two hundred fifty bucks. I mean, like, to come, I would want one hundred and fifty k when I, you know, when I'm retired, and yeah. that's eat, eat, just think of it. Here's another thing I like to stress on too. Like, let's that's never that's never upping that amount. And when you're 40 years old, you're most likely going to be able to afford 250 bucks a year. You know what I mean? Like or, a month. And if you're smart enough to have been doing this since you were 20 years old, by the time you're 40, money is not going to be. <laughs> yes. And I mean, hundred percent. We're to, and we're talking so much about like the other options that you have, and I just so I'm thinking to myself as I say that, like, yeah, if you start doing that, the sky's the limit. We can start talking about things on other investment vehicles because the work 401k is is boring. Like mm-hmm. it's something that we should do. I mean, I'm a fan of it because it checks all the boxes that I need. The fees are where I need them to be, my income and my expenses. But now what happens if you're fortunate or what happens if you're the guy that has really high fees like my brother and all he's doing is the match? So I come to you and I'm like, JJ. I, my fees are 4% they're charging me. I'm going to try and get this match. I have no debt. I want to start to play around with broker. I, my buddies keep telling me about this word brokerage accounts. And what are some other things outside now? So we've checked off Roth IRA. If you have any earned income, start doing that. Even if it's a little bit, because time in the market, is going to compound. You just gave it a great example. We have your work-sponsored ones, which are going to be tax-deferred, which are 401k, 403b. And if you were as lucky as me, the 457, what's next? Because I know brokerage accounts have been something that's been very prevalent in your investing career. And I made a video a bunch of months back about how I would not own, I would not have a brokerage account until I checked X amount of boxes. Right. Where does the, 
Def- just explain briefly, because this is information that some people don't know. Mm-hmm. Explain what a brokerage account is, because I know that people ask me, if I invest in a Roth IRA, the Roth IRA is not an investment. It's the account, and then you make investments. Mm-hmm. And I think the same holds true. Sometimes people misconstrue what this word brokerage account means. What does it mean? Yep. So there's a there's a word that goes in front of that too that's, that I think is pretty important, and that's a taxable brokerage account. So basically what this is, is I like to think of this as kind of like a, you can even say a brokerage account is kind of like a bank account. It's very easy to have money going in and out of that account. You know, with a Roth IRA, you have fees, you got to pay taxes. It's very hard to pull that money out. Same thing with the 401k. You know, you got t- you got fees, you got taxes, you got to worry about. To where the brokerage account, a taxable brokerage account, you can put $1,000 into it on Monday and throw it into the stock or an index fund. And if you have to use that $1,000, you can sell that and pull it out on Friday. But if if you've gained, have you had any gain in that brokerage account, you will have to pay taxes on those capital gains. Yeah, and we're gonna do we're gonna do a whole episode yeah, on, on yeah. tax efficiency. So don't worry too much about the taxes. People tend to not make moves because they don't want to pay taxes. And if I offered you a hundred bucks but said I can only give you eighty five, it you'd probably take it. So. Give me that eighty five all day, <laughs> all day, all day. I'll take that eighty five dollars. <laughs> All right, so I cut you off. Continue, go. No, that's fine. I mean, and I was kind of getting in more to the taxes of it. And I don't want to get in too advanced here, but because yeah. there's, there, you know, then you're talking dividends and everything else. But we'll make a whole episode on tax right, efficiency. Right. Now, I think Brad, you know, you may have a maybe a different opinion, or maybe you just went a little bit of a different route on this. But for me, you know, some people may want to take full advantage of all of the tax deferred accounts and accounts you're getting through your work and maxing all of those out before you think about opening up a taxable brokerage account. Now, I didn't. I actually opened up a taxable brokerage account before I was maxing out a 401k. I was maxing out my Roth IRA. I would say I maxed out my Roth IRA before I invested inside a taxable brokerage. But here's the thing. I wanted to have another vehicle that I could keep a large amount of money, but also I wanted instant access to it. You know, I wanted it to be investing in a non-tangible asset that I could have, that I could liquidate within a couple business days if I needed to. Because once you start, like once you build up an emergency fund and I have my three to six months or a year for what my wife and I like to have, I don't want to just keep saving that money and money because you can only put so much into a Roth IRA and a 401k. So, you know, and, and like I said, I wasn't even at the time, to be honest, now I don't even have a 401k because I, you know, I work for myself. But even before I had a 401k, subtle flex there. Yeah, there yeah you, go, you know, I'm financially dependent. Oh, yeah. so <laughs> but I, 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 yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> um, what was I even saying? I don't know, but I cut I you off on the it. subtle yeah, flex. I got, got too no, excited. You, you were saying that you don't even have a 401k you're, because you're because yeah, 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 yeah. So basically, the the what I wanted to get to is you have the instant liquid liquidity that you can get your hands to. So the good part about this is, is once you get your your three to six months or a year or whatever you want to have to feel comfortable for an emergency fund, all of that extra cash, if you don't have a goal for it, can go inside that brokerage account because you may need it on top of your emergency fund. You don't like say you want to turn around, you wanna, you wanna, you know, buy a home or you know, there's something you want to use that money for. 
you can pull that money out and sell your investments, whatever that may be. And Brad, I don't know if you want to touch on maybe like different things you can buy inside these taxable brokerage account because it kind of acts as like a Roth IRA. You buy investments inside the brokerage. Yeah, it's it's just the vehicle. And we, we, we both love, we hear dividend portfolios versus growth portfolios and individual stocks. And I think we'll get into a, an episode one day where we're talking about the investments that we personally make and different mm-hmm. stocks and things we feel. But real quick, I got to plug this too, man. And like, if there's anybody listening to the this podcast that like just stumbled upon us, Brad and I both have YouTube channels. And we like, honestly, right now, a majority of our main YouTube yeah. channels are talking about single stocks. <laughs> so like, if you guys are kind of past this or you're a little bit more advanced or you want to just start listening about single stocks, Go check us out over at YouTube. JJ Buckner, Brad Finn. <laughs> but I talk mean, about it every week. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know if you get the same thing, JJ, is we talk a lot about like dividend portfolios and things like mm-hmm. that. And that's there's a little bit of us dancing to the YouTube algorithm and, and what people are watching. Oh yeah, for sure. But I have to reinforce on an on a overwhelming basis all of those things before. That like people like I get and it's some people trying to protect me like, oh, before you're investing in this, you should probably think and I'm like, thanks. Let me hit the pause button. Thank you so much. I just want to let you know. So I try and sprinkle that in. But yeah, inside these brokerage accounts are going to be growth stocks like Apple, Microsoft, Visa, MasterCard. Those are my jams. And then you have your dividend stocks. And I think both are great. It just depends on what what you want in the end game. If you invest in Apple, you're looking to make money years down the line because you want that stock to grow. The share price is going to grow from what you bought it. And then when you sell it, you are going to get the difference of the price that you bought it at. That's called a capital gain. Where a dividend portfolio, and this is something that I really like, is instead of waiting for those that growth to happen over time, you maybe will buy a dividend stock that doesn't grow. Their share price kind of stays, what we say, trading flat. And then with that, they give you a dividend, which is essentially just a thank you card from the company with a little bit of money inside saying, thanks for investing in us. And that is real-time money. That's money that you're getting right now. Could you do both? Yeah, everyone. people have both. People, oh, Brad, why can't I have both? Or are there dividend slash growth stocks? Yeah, mm-hmm. Home Depot is a great one. It it grows like crazy and it has a pretty good dividend. Right, Microsoft and Visa. I mean, those are like, they have smaller dividends, but still, I mean, they're paying, they're dividend paying companies that are considered more of a growth stock. So that's kind of things to think about that too. Now, and you touched on something, Brad, that I think I struggled with this when I first started like investing in stocks and stuff like that is, I was so stressed and worried. Like I felt like I had to have this certain strategy and have it figured yes. out right away. You know, like I, I I had like this problem where I'm like, okay, I'm a dividend investor and that's all I'm going to be the rest of my life. I can't invest in growth stocks because I'm trying to make a thousand dollars a month from dividends. You know what I mean? So like, that's something I want to say is don't, don't get so stressed and don't get so worried about having a, a, set strategy. Like if you want to be a sole dividend investor, by all means do it. Amen. If you want to be an only a growth investor and you only want to buy growth stocks, then by all means do it. But I've kind of taken a hybrid route and I'm actually, I've split this up. So my SEP IRA now is where I do majority of my dividend investments. 
my Robinhood portfolio that I talk about on my YouTube channel. That is more, I would say, of a growth portfolio. That's kind of where that's steering towards. Yeah. So that's something else you can think of too. Like you can have multiple brokerage accounts with different brokers. Yeah. You know, like I have a Robinhood. I have one with, uh, you can have one with M1 Finance, with Webull, with, uh, you know, Vanguard or Fidelity, whoever you want to use. You can have as many brokerages as you want open and then you can do your own separate strategies in each one. That's yeah. what I like about that too. And you call it a hybrid strategy. I just say that's your personal strategy. Yep. And- yeah, it it's so true. It back to this snowball versus dead avalanche. Like at the end of the day, if you invest in high quality dividend stocks, you're going to win. If you invest in high quality growth stocks, you are going to win. And if you invest in anything, anything that we've talked about, you are so far ahead of the curve that you are most likely going to win. And I mean, so now we, we, we've checked boxes of the Roth. Get we've it. hit on a lot of non-tangible assets. Yes. Now, so we, what's next, Brad? <laughs> and it's funny that you say that because, I mean, I, I mean, we know it's coming, but it's funny that we talk about forming this personal path. And mm-hmm. I myself am somebody that I can be pretty stubborn or sometimes I, my biggest flaw and, and what's held me back in my personal finance journey is being too stubborn and not listening. And sometimes you have to listen. And I think like real estate investments and things like that are, they're another way to diversify your investments and outside of these. Now, granted, now we're talking about a lot of money and people are like, Brad, we're not all like you. You you have to find the thing that really winds your clock. There's mm-hmm. there's all these things that you can invest in. Maybe you're not in maybe you're not into Roth IRAs, okay? But you love flipping houses and you love, you know, buy and holds. And and real estate is another way. I I mean, I will plug bigger pockets. I I don't know them, but I mean when We've talked hands down, probably the single greatest real estate investment yeah. podcast. I mean, you got you to give them credit where credit's yes. due. Yes, and uh, we would love to be on the bigger podcast. So, Brandon, you know, reach out, you know, DM me. Uh, Heck yeah, dude! <laughs> but it, all jokes aside, you JJ have said to me, you know, I'm I'm saving up for buying home, saved up for buying home, <laughs> and here I was, like like a little noob, <laughs> telling you what a donkey you were. <laughs> and you, as humble as you are, because you, you are, you're humble. What do you mean by when you say donkey? <laughs> no, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> you were pretty much, you just let it rock. You, you yeah, knew, yeah, no. you knew almost like you had done it before. And I don't know if you've done it before, but you kind of just smiled and nodded at me like, all right, Brad, Brad's a smart guy. He's, he's a little, little bit of a Dave Ramsey fanboy. He's all about his, you know, growth stocks and he's all about his index funds. He'll come around and realize, and you never said anything to me until I was like, JJ, you were right. And it, it's not a, it's not right or wrong. Like Brad, right. you should have been investing in real estate. It was you always saying, Hey guys, there's another avenue. And I always tried to come up with a way to tell you that there was something better. And you were just mm-hmm. like, okay, man, like do, do you boo boo? Do yeah. you? And 
here I am. While I was collecting my rent checks in the mail, just you know, <laughs> sitting back. I'm like, that's fine, Brad. Amen, <laughs> Not, amen, yeah. amen, brother. And what I've realized too with, with real estate investing is there's a hundred like I said, that we're going to do a, a real estate investing episode for yes. sure. Maybe a few of them. Yes, because I mean, you have a buy and hold. We mm-hmm. talked to Bryce who does buy and holds and flips. And then my strategy right now is I'm using private money and I'm lending to people that already have established teams and that are doing things and I'm getting a return that way. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I mean, I granted, do I want to own a hotel one day and have a million doors? Maybe. Yeah. But it's the balance, JJ. And it's the balance that people don't realize. And you said it, you said it best. You don't have to be a dividend investor or versus a growth stock. Right. And you don't have to be a stock investor or a real estate investor. At the end of the day, all they, of them. They, they, at the end of the day, they have one word in common, and it's investor. And that one word in common depends on on you. And if you hate real I, Gen X dividend investor, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna shout him out real quick. Mm-hmm. This dude, he has one of the most impressive dividend portfolios that I've seen publicly on YouTube. And I try and slide his name, get his name out of him, super secret. But like, he talks about money in a way. He has a like a one point seven million dollar dividend portfolio, and with this amount of money, you'd think that this guy, if he'd heard about bigger pockets, would own multiple businesses and multiple real estate investments. And he has pretty much just come out and said, "I would rather put my money into realty income." and get that monthly passive income from realty income because for me, it wasn't worth the extra work or the extra psyche of owning a building. Do I have the net worth to own buildings? Yes, I can own buildings. I can probably own a bunch of buildings. Have I owned buildings? Yes. But for me, where I'm at and my life and my job and my career and my family, it's just as easy for me to put money into a REIT or to put money into something else that's real estate in, you know, related to real estate and make that money that way. So to, if you, you're not, a, you're not a jerk if you don't have a rental property. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's the thing too, man. I mean, like, again, with this whole investing world and space that we're in, I think people get so worked up about making sure they're doing this. And then maybe they listen to a podcast like Bryce, where he here, you know, He's got 1.6 million in, in real estate assets. And they're like, man, I guess I need to get into that too. But no, you, you really don't have to. You can you do whatever feels comfort, comfortable to you. If you need to start off with your Roth IRA and you invest in an index fund and that's all you want to do, then do that. There is nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But as you start investing and as you get comfortable with an index fund, you're like, ooh, maybe I want to go buy my first stock. I'm feeling you know comfortable with this whole index fund ETF. Now I'm going to go step it up a little bit. I'm going to buy a single stock because I kind of have a little bit better understanding of how the market works. I know how to buy a stock now or whatever that may be. Then you go do that. You get your feet wet there. Then you start buying stocks a little bit here and there. And you're hearing these you know, podcasts coming out and you're reading these blog articles about people investing in real estate and becoming financially independent. And you're like, oh, maybe that maybe I need to try that. Maybe I'm going to do my first flip or maybe yeah. I'm going to go try and do my first buy and hold. Or I'm going to lend you know hard hard money or whatever that may be. It's all about doing what you, and if you want to try it and if you hate it, it's not the end of the world. You can sell the property or get rid of it and, you know, take it as a learning experience and move on to the next thing. So that's one thing. And like, 
I don't talk about this really at all on my YouTube channel, but like real estate investing is probably one of the one of my most favorite ways to invest my money. Mm-hmm. Mainly because one, I just like it. I just like real estate. It's it's part of me. I can tell it's in my blood. But also, in my opinion, I believe that real estate investing is the fastest way that any every average day individual can become financially independent. Right. Because you can leverage your money. Dude, and I agree with you. And it's a ton of information and, and a ton of things that we just talked about. And <laughs> if you're if you're listening, it sounds cliche, but if you're if you're new to this and you're listening, I want to say I'll give you the cliche. Just listening to this alone, you're taking the right step. And it's not gonna happen overnight. And it it doesn't have to happen overnight. You have mm-hmm. you have the rest of your wonderful life. Whether you are 60 years old and you're going to live to 160 or you're 20 years old and you're going to live to 185, it's don't be intimidated. I think that's a message that I think if I got to sit down with people, sit down with people, I would say you don't need to be intimidated. There are people that want to see you win. This is why we created this podcast is because we have the opportunity to help you because we were there. We all started zero or in my case, negative <laughs> below zero. And it was a lot, JJ. And I think even talking about this, we didn't even realize some of the rabbit holes that we can come down in future episodes. And I'm thinking about people that are experienced, even more experienced than me that I can't wait to call and be like, all right, that, that came up and we're going to get you on because we need to talk about, we need to talk to professionals and things like that. But I think at the end of the day, and JJ, you, you can follow this up is don't be intimidated. If you're making some money, pay off your debts to the best of your ability and get them done. And nine times out of 10, that's going to be your best bet is to get rid of your debts first. If you don't have an employee match, definitely mm-hmm. get rid of your debts first. And then then we'll get to investing. And if you got to get to investing, look for something that you enjoy doing because investing is really, really fun. It is. It's amazing. And Brad, you pretty much hit it on the head there, man. Like every time somebody asks me a question that like, you know, is kind of maybe a newbie question or you can tell it's kind of a, you know, someone who just really doesn't know much yet. I love to think back to where I was when I first got started and like, you know, 21 year old JJ had no idea what, you know, how to invest. I was, you know, was a saver, but I, my family, we just never really talked about investing. It was just something we just didn't do. And I always like to think back and just think of how far I've, I've come yeah. since just slowly starting getting into investing. And, and, and you said, you know, don't get overwhelmed. Like that's, one of the most important things I want to I want to tell somebody, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Right. You're not going to be an expert investor in a year, in two years. I'm not even an expert investor yet. I'm <laughs> learning every single day about stocks, about investing in the market, about real estate. I mean, like I am by no means an expert whatsoever. Yep. It's just the main point I want to get across here is like Brad said, if you're listening to this podcast or if you're reading articles or reading books, whatever it may be, you're heading in the right direction. Just stick with it and it's slowly going to come to you. You're going to find something, you're going to get the hang of it, and then you're going to want to take the next step. Try. I guess if there's one thing I could tell myself, Brad, I may want to hear your answer to this too. If you could go back and tell like beginner Brad of investing and be, I'm going to say for beginner JJ of investing, what's one thing you would tell him? 
I would probably tell me just seriously, like what I just mentioned, take it slow. And as you get comfortable with one thing and you kind of not, maybe not master it, but you have a very good, like you're comfortable talking about it, move on to the next step, you know, and, and you kind of have an idea. Like my first thing I really wanted to get into was real estate. You know, I, I, I started buying, I bought a stock right when I graduated college. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I lost like half my money in it. And I was like, screw stocks. This is the most stupidest thing I could have ever done. Now I'm, you know, I've changed my ideas on that, obviously, but now I'm investing in real estate and that's kind of what my next step was. So I kind of, I would say, I like to say I got mastered with real estate investing before I went back into stocks. So like I really focused on real estate and then I moved on to the next venture, which was stock. So just to sum it all up, it's basically just focus on one thing at a time. Don't get too overwhelmed and you'll get the hang of it. People ask me, you know, my biggest investing mistake. And I think my biggest investing mistake, just like anything in life was not asking questions when I knew I should because of fear and because of, of possibly being vulnerable. It's incredible. The crap that I will talk about at the water cooler at work, things that are even with my family, you know, it is unreal to me the stupid things that I will debate with my brothers and what I will debate with my cousins, aunts, and uncles, the people that are closest to me, but I won't talk money with them. And I think that I knew in my gut that I should have, but I never did because of that fear. And that's my biggest mistake of investing. Five years ago, I didn't even know what a Roth IRA was. And I was 33 years old, all right? I didn't even know what, not, not oh, I heard of it. I didn't ever even heard of a Roth IRA until I was 33 years old. And that's, that's what I want to scream from the mountaintops. Like, do not allow that fear to be your biggest mistake. Ask questions. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Don't be afraid to have somebody. You want to know what? If, so, if you ask somebody an investing question and they laugh in your face, call me up. Find me. Find JJ. I'm not going to laugh in your face because I've been there. And, and, and that's not to sound like, you know, like cheesy or lame, but it, it's, we really are. I speak for JJ and I won't do it very often, but I'll speak for JJ. This is our labor of love, and there is nothing that we like more, whether it's here, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, all of our platforms, than just hearing people talk about their successes. That is the greatest thank you that I can get in my YouTube comments, is not when people say thank you, Brad, but when people tell me how they use the information that they learned from the video, and they made their lives better. And there is nothing more incredible to that. And one day, if we get a comment from this podcast that says, Brad, I learned about what a Roth IRA, or I learned what a 457 was, that I, that video that I made. When somebody writes, I can't believe I never knew about this 457, and now I do. My life has changed. It's the best feeling. That's the best feeling in the world. And guys, we, we've took up more of your commute. We know you're sitting in the parking lot. You're trying to get into work. You know, it's Monday morning. You know, it's supposed to be a 45-minute episode. But like I said, this is, I think, a more of a display on passion and more yeah. of a, a d display on the amount of information that is out there. But we're going to break it down for you. We're going to keep it average. We're going to mm -hmm. keep it awesome. And, you know, I really look forward to what we can produce even more in the future. JJ, you want to sign off, buddy, before I say goodnight? I will, man. Yeah, guys, again, if you're listening till, till now, I do want to say thank you guys so much. This podcast is something that Brad and I just started. And I mean... I, I was going to say, I'm not going to speak for Brad, but I am. 
Do it. We're having a blast doing this. <laughs> I mean, this is so much fun just to, I mean, literally probably if you could ask me what are my two favorite things besides spending time with my family, I would say drinking a brewski and talking about money. And that's literally what we're doing here. So it's it's so much fun that we get to do this, man. I, I love it. I'm excited to see what the future holds for this podcast. I want to start doing something a little different for the sign-off uh, when it's just kind of a me and you episode. I'm going to pick a review uh, that somebody has took taken the time to write out. And I just want to read it on the podcast to show my appreciation of just how much we appreciate these these reviews. JJ, because not JJ, what? don't you know you know I'm soft and you know I'm emotional. Don't <laughs> don't be you last time you sent me a review, I had to cry in front of my daughter. So just <laughs> pick one that's not too sappy. Well, I may be reading that same one because I love it. Okay. It's amazing. It's amazing. So basically guys the reviews do help us out a lot and i read every single one Everyone. of them they're so incredible but even though so that we, was like five stars for jj i'm like whoa 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 do i i, I could take negative but be five stars for jj brad you're like three and a half you're, yeah brad you're all right <laughs> <laughs> at least give at least give me some constructive criticism or just, <laughs> maybe just do like a <laughs> <laughs> a five star for JJ Brad. You're eh. <laughs> was it meh? Man, man. At least at least acknowledge that I was here, even if you call me trash. <laughs> That's funny. Oh man. Okay. So read the review, review, JJ. Yeah. Read the review. All right. So it's a title that says not so average podcast. And this is from Chavi3B, if I'm saying that right. I don't know if I said that right. But this one's this one's incredible, by the way. The amount of just the thoughtfulness of That's this what is it is. Awesome. Like, I think what I said to you was that I couldn't even... Uh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it's awesome. Just listen to this. So over the past few years, the frugally immovable object J.J. Buckner went against the teaching techniques of irresistible dividend force Brad Finn on YouTube. We thought there could only be one financial YouTube champion. However... They decided to turn the tables on the rest of us YouTube universe and combine forces for a podcast of epic proportions, whether it's stocks, bonds, beers, work, family, finances, or a life these two cover it in an easy to understand and digestible way. They are great on their own, but together, this could become an investing podcast superpower. Subscribe now to tap into their experiences and knowledge. Seriously, though, they're great on their own and together. I can't wait to see what they come up with. Isn't that incredible? I could never come up with something that awesome. The thoughtfulness, and I, I hope they hear this, and it's not... I hope so, too. I wish I... It, and the, the best part is, usually when something is this early on, that, that's like your mom saying that. You know? like right. <laughs> yes, I yeah. have no idea... And that was after episode one. I think this is going to mm -hmm. be something like episode five or so. But Yeah, something like that. I, I want to reiterate what you just said. We read the comments, good and bad, because I'm sure you're going to leave us constructive criticism. We want this to be the best it's going to be. And coming yep. from YouTube, a lot of the great changes that I've made in YouTube have been positive feedback. Um, and that that's really it. And the the importance of the the f reviews and stuff as far as like Apple promoting our products is amazing. But like I said, JJ, what you just read is the most incredible thank you that we can get. And guys, we're not working too hard. Like JJ said, we're having a good time. It's, it's late in the evening. Our kids mm -hmm. are in bed. Our wives are dreaming about us 
and we're just we're just having a couple beers talking about money and uh we'll see you on the next one guys thank you so much for listening